AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. We typically are with you Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. But this week here, the extra point is just Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The Sports Zone with you, though, Monday through Friday this particular week. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Uh, the Cardinals fell to the Rams yesterday, 37-14 to 14 here. The question, is there reason to believe in the alleged Cardinals? improved culture and yes continues to be out in front here at 65 percent of the vote no trailing at 35 percent during the sports zone it was heavy on the no side of things in the extra point here it is flipped to the yes side we'll officially answer our uh opinion on this around 1230 today so still plenty of time for you to cast your vote kdus 1060.com over on Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, it was rivalry weekend in college football pertaining to what took place here in Tempe with ASU and U of A. Is there any reason to be encouraged about the ASU football program moving forward following Saturday's 59-23 to loss to the U of A? This has remained consistently on the no side of things at 71.9% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 28.1%. We'll also answer this question around 1230. Time for you to cast your vote at KDOS AM 1060. Phone calls in this hour around 1215-602-260-1060 is the number. We'll dive into uh, college football momentarily, but just wrapping things up from the NFL. You had the Jaguars and the Texans. It was a big-time AFC game with some AFC South implications here. The Jaguars go on the road and get the win, 24-21. to So now the Jaguars are sitting at 8-3. and The Texans are sitting at 6-5. At Trevor Lawrence was 23 of 38, 364 yards, one touchdown, one pick. C.J. Stroud, 26 of 36, 304 yards, two touchdowns, four sacks. The Texans, though, had a chance here. It was a lengthy field goal. Was it like 59 yards? Hit the crossbar. And sometimes the spin can hit the crossbar and fall over for a good field goal. This one hit the crossbar and did not do that. It did not. Uh, Jacksonville is now 1-7-8. The only loss is they had zero chance. They lost at home to San Francisco, and San Francisco – Undefeated this year when their players, are, their key players, have all been playing. By the way, I think San Francisco is still the best team in the NFL. I'm not wavering on that. I've not wavered on that since the start of the season. But back to Jacksonville, uh, they're now two games ahead of Houston after the win. Uh, obviously, they lost to them earlier in the season in uh, Jacksonville. Uh, I did not see much of this game. Um, I believe they're replaying this game later this afternoon on NFL Network. If they do, I want to watch it because apparently this was the worst officiated game of the season. 
I've already heard that on the only NFL podcast I've listened to so far today. I heard it yesterday and uh, you know on Fox. I heard it last night on ESPN. Apparently, this was a horrendously officiated game. Unfortunate, uh, you know, playing for first place and the officiating is that bad. And it didn't seem to really benefit one team or the other. It was just horrendous calls on both sides uh, for the, uh, for these in, the, in this game. Apparently, and like I said, I've heard it so many places now that, uh, and from people I you know, respect their opinion to some extent, uh, that you know, must have actually been accurate. Uh, C.J. Stroud, some good and some bad. You were starting to see a little bad here lately. Uh, obviously, he had the three picks against the Cardinals, all in uh, you know all in the red zone. Uh, right in the cusp of the red zone, one of those Cardinals interceptions. And then there were a couple of plays on that final drive yesterday that he did not make, and that forced them into kicking the 59-yard field goal attempt. They could have gotten closer had he been a little better. Uh, yes, agreed. I also heard the same thing that you did about the horrendous calls on both sides of the, the ball there for the officials. And then to your point there, a couple of sacks and just uh, – um, Maybe just a little bit of rookie mistakes, if you will, uh, creeping in for C.J. Stroud. But overall, I mean, what he's been doing so far in his NFL career has been pretty darn special. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's had four games with over 300 yards passing. I believe he's the first rookie ever to do that. One thing that certainly hurt yesterday is they lost their tackle, Titus Howard, apparently to a big-time injury in this game and uh they need him back we just talked a couple of weeks ago when we previewed the cardinals texans game that they finally had their offensive line intact for the first time apparently that lasted uh like a game and a half uh one other thing i want to go back to we talked about it in hour number one was the panthers making the decision to move on from head coach frank reich this morning it appears here that there's been some more decisions on the panthers coaching staff according to adam Schefter here a few minutes ago the panthers have also fired uh, assistant head coach and runnings backs coach Deuce staley in addition to that they've fired quarterback coach josh mccown so uh you have three coaches out now in carolina Okay, so that'll be fun. And then obviously they don't even have the first pick in the draft. Correct. The Browns and the Broncos, it was a 29-12 to win for the Broncos. The Broncos now, don't look now, they've won five games in a row, and they are certainly doing it behind the ground game. Javante Williams, 18 carries, 65 yards. Smaji P. Ryan, 7 carries, 55 yards, 1 touchdown. Russell Wilson even got in on the action with like 11 carries for 30-some yards. Uh, DTR, though, for the Browns, he did leave this game with a concussion, and the Browns on offense lost three fumbles. Yeah, the uh, Browns are running out of players here. Uh, you know, they've already been running short on players. And, you know, Miles Garrett, if he is, you know, has some kind of serious shoulder injury, uh, they can pretty much just pack it in if he's not playing. Denzel Ward, uh, excellent cover corner, and I don't use that term often unless I mean it because I think it's an overused term in the NFL. He did not play. In that game, uh, we talked last Wednesday when we were last here about I was looking forward to the Ward and, and Sutton matchup, but they never had that because Ward didn't play. And then DTR and Louis yesterday, uh, they were down, uh, it was only 17-12 to 12 at that point when he got hurt. As far as Russell Wilson, uh, he's number one in the NFL at red zone efficiency this year. I keep bagging on Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert for not being good in the red zone. I think it's only fair that I point out that uh, Russell Wilson has been number one 
and red zone efficiency this year. Hasn't thrown a red zone touchdown or excuse me, uh, interception. Uh, now they have three straight on the road, however, Denver at Houston, the Chargers, and Detroit. And I think all three of those teams are somewhat overrated in the general eye of the public. Well, I guess the Chargers aren't anymore, but they were at one point. But uh, let's see how they do. Three straight road games. You don't have that very often. I remember we talked about the Broncos. We did our preseason preview on them. And we talked about how you have you know, three straight road games is unusual in the NFL. It really sucks when it's in the month of December. Uh, to your point here about Miles Garrett, uh, I have not seen anything about updated MRI results that he was expected to have today. The only thing uh, is that he talked post game and said that he felt and heard it pop in his left shoulder. So we'll uh, obviously monitor what those MRI results say. For the Bills and the Eagles, this game needed overtime for the Eagles to go on to win 37-34. to It was a driving rainstorm, and I don't know how, I don't know why. In overtime, the Bills went into a particular defense that just absolutely allowed Jalen Hurts to score the game-winning touchdown. They moved the safety down. There was nobody there. Uh, once he got through the hole, off to the races for Jalen Hurts to walk off for the Eagles, 37 to 34 but this stretch for the Eagles is absolutely brutal I know that they're 10 and 1 here but at some point maybe there has to be a bit of a letdown coming off of a 21-17 Monday night football victory over the Chiefs and just the physicality and nature of that game short week 37-34 Bills overtime game then you have this Sunday the 49ers and then the following week is the Cowboys yeah, and Hassan Reddick, who barely talked when he was here at the Cardinals, apparently has come out and completely trash-talked and trashed the uh, 49ers. So I'm sure that uh, you know they're already in revenge mode from the uh, NFC Championship game, and I'm sure the Niners will be more fired up now if there's such a thing. Uh, but uh, we'll see what's up with that. Uh, Philadelphia, their fourth straight game that they've trailed in the fourth quarter. They've won all those games. Uh, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns, zero interceptions in the second half. Now the, to, to me, the play of this game was Elliott making the 59-yard mm-hmm. field goal in overtime to, to force the overtime in a driving rainstorm. Uh, so to, that was that's one of the most amazing kicks I've ever seen. It's like Vintier, uh, Vint, uh, Vintieri uh, uh, in, in, the, in the snow game against Oakland back in the day. Uh, but this was pretty amazing. Also, since we were here last, uh, Derek Barnett was cut. Uh, he was their t- uh, number one draft pick in 2017. Uh, something going on there, because remember last week, the day before the Monday night game that they lost at Kansas City, yeah, he it was reported that he had left the team because of personal reasons, and then they cut him like three or four days later, and now it looks like he might end up with the Dolphins. Wow. Uh, Jake Elliott, though, he's been really good since he's been drafted uh, 2017 with the Eagles. There was I'm looking at his stats. Weird year for him in 2020 with just 73.7% of his field goals made, but he bounces back in 2021 with 90.9% and a career average of 84.7% field goals made. He's just been really Mm -hmm. good. And in his postseason career, he's 100%. Yep, no doubt. And low on Buffalo here, you know, they blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think the McDermott might even be on a little shaky ground here considering uh, 
maybe, maybe not. They've obviously lost key defenders all year long. I never thought their offensive line was that good to begin with. I have never bought into they've got all these playmakers. I've never bought into that at all. And Josh Allen continues to throw fourth-quarter interceptions, yet I hear people say he's having a great season, including the athletic podcast I listened to this morning. Now, they're advocates of the Bills. They thought they were going to be really good and whatever. Maybe they're just trying to cover their asses. But he is not having a good season. I'm sorry. He, he has been a major contributor to them having a you know, 500 season. The Ravens and the Chargers rounding out Sunday Night Football with a 20-10 to 10 victory. The Ravens, though, they were in a position with a fourth-quarter lead. And the question was, were they going to hold on or were they going to let it slip? Uh, the Chargers for the game, though, they did lose three fumbles. And um, defensively, though, for the Ravens, it was certainly a perf- um, impressive performance here. And they sit atop the AFC at 9-3. and three. The Ravens left a ton of points on the field, including uh, you know, it was, you know, the greatest field goal kicker of all time. Misses a field goal that would have... Uh, giving them a more healthy lead or a, a secure lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the Ravens just, uh, they got lucky yesterday. And the reason they didn't blow another fourth quarter lead is because they were playing the Chargers. And the Chargers are incapable of winning close games. And they had four turnovers, including Herbert's lost fumble in the fourth quarter of that game yesterday. And that was on the 17th play of a drive, which they scored zero points. Typical Chargers. It's too late to fire Brandon Staley before. They should have done that three years ago, and they uh, maybe would be in a better position than they're in right now. Uh, why bother at this point? Because you know they're in the AFC. They're they're done. They're finished. See you later. Bye. Now this is interesting. Ian Rappaport is now reporting on the Panthers' decision to move on from quarterbacks coach Josh McCown and running back coach Deuce Staley. He's saying that the decision was made by interim coach Chris Tabor and offensive assistant Jim Caldwell. So interesting things happening in Carolina as they try to uh, I guess help Bryce Young figure out the next five weeks of the season and see if they can build on anything for him. Moving forward, since no, they're yeah, he's their guy, right? Well, unless they get a different offensive line, uh, you know, Bryce Young has no chance. But by now, he should learn how to protect the football and not fumble continually. Rivalry weekend in college football. We'll dive into that on the other side of the break. It is the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. The Doug Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Rivalry weekend in college football. We'll go back and dissect some of the matchups here in the extra point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you on this Monday, November 27th. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. 
We'll start with Friday night with Oregon just taking care of business in a 31-7 win over Oregon State. Bo Nix for his numbers, 33 of 40, 367 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, does this pretty much at this point stamp himself as the Heisman favorite? Also, Oregon punches their ticket to the Pac-12 championship, and uh, they <laughs> this is wild. They're sitting as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Well, it's because Washington State, who I assume we're going to get to her in a minute, keeps playing close game after close game and escaping to their credit. Um, also, Bo Nix is on pace to break Colt McCoy's all-time record of passing efficiency during his college career. He's only been sacked five times the entire season. That, according to Pac-12 Networks, and I didn't have time to look that up, but I assume that's an accurate uh, statistical thing. And as far as Oregon State, yeah, I guess it was pretty much new before this game that Jonathan Smith was leaving for Michigan State. And also, I think that the lack of speed in the uh, Oregon State secondary, something we pointed out before the game, was going to be a big deal here, and it was. Uh, yes, it is accurate that he has only been sacked five times in this entire season. And yes, uh, Oregon State, this has to be just another gut punch for the program. One, you don't have a conference. You're a Pac-2 hoping to play some games in the Mountain West. And now you don't have your coach who really helped put the Beavers back in a good conversation about their football program. Not only helped it, he did it all by himself. I mean, that was, this program was a mess when Gary Anderson got out of there or they got him out of there. He did a terrible job there. Uh, so, you know, I don't think anybody's surprised he's leaving Oregon State, quite frankly, because there's, you know, what are you supposed to do? You got no conference. So, but going to Michigan State, I was a little surprised. But the more I heard about this and thought about it, uh, the more it makes sense to me. And I got into that in some detail earlier in, uh, during the sports zone today. We'll stay in the Pac-12 with WSU pushing UW. Huskies, though, come out on top 24-21 to with a game-winning 42-yard field goal. The Huskies' final drive, though, of 159, it was full of suspense because there were near misses for WSU to get an interception. There were questions about what are you doing, but UW in the end remains undefeated. Michael Penix's numbers, 18 of 33, 204 yards, two touchdowns, one interception reception dylan johnson on the ground 21 carries 82 yards and one touchdown however there was one really good fourth down call uh that uh was that was that was a pretty sweet call i should say in their final drive definitely was a doomsday in the reverse uh, you know their best player get him the ball and that was a different way to get him the ball that was uh still they were still in washington state territory washington state actually outgained uh washington 381 to 306 in this game uh, so we'll see what happens. But now Washington's won 19 in a row going back to last year, including 12-0 and zero this season. They're 6-0 and zero in one-score games this season. Now, last year, everybody would have been going crazy about this, and you used the uh, Minnesota Vikings reference, and you, can, you, you can't continue to win all these one-score games. But the Vikings did it last year, and Washington's doing it this year. All eyes Saturday morning were on Ohio State and Michigan, with Michigan coming out on top 30-24. Michigan's Blake Corum, 22 carries, 88 yards, two touchdowns. J.J. McCarthy, efficient, 16 of 20, 148 yards and one touchdown. Meanwhile, Ohio State's Kyle McCord, 18 of 30, 271 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, Ohio State cut it to 27-24 with 8.05 to play, but then Michigan just controlled 
controlled the clock with a seven-minute drive that resulted in a field goal. Yeah, Ohio State's defense couldn't get off the field. You know, the third down conversion thing didn't look terrible, but uh, you need to look at the fourth down conversion thing because they went for it on fourth down and converted many times. Michigan's now won 22 straight home games. McCarthy's 23-1 and as a starting quarterback. They lost their best offensive lineman, Zach Minter, uh, excuse me, Zach Zinter, uh, who is a really good player. Uh, Ugly-looking injury. In fact, he has a torn ACL and a torn NCL. He left the, in fact, he left the stadium during the game uh, to go to the uh, University of Michigan Medical Center. Hopefully, I saw a feature on on him a couple of weeks ago on the Big Ten Network. He seems to be a great kid. And hopefully as a full recovery and a long NFL career, as far as Ohio State goes, I've been talking about this really since the first week of the season. Their offensive line is bad. Their tackles are the worst that they've had since the late 80s. Uh, and they just couldn't control the line of scrimmage, except for one strange drive where they ran the ball down the field and scored. Uh, they rarely did that all year long. 22 consecutive years now. The team with the most rushing yards in this game has won the game. Uh, also, Ohio State's defense, which I was a little suspect about during the season. Uh, they had not allowed a touchdown of more than 20 yards all season long. They allowed two of those in this game. It also had zero takeaways in the game. So, Ryan Day, he is 56-7 and seven as Ohio State's head coach. It has included two Big Ten titles three CFP appearances in five seasons. He is 0-3, though, in the last three games against Michigan. And the last time Ohio State lost three in a row, John Cooper was the head coach from 1995 to 1997. I asked you this question yesterday when I saw you, but I got to ask you again here. What do you make about all of the Ryan Day should be fired comments? It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, John Cooper was 2-10-1 against Michigan when they fired him. Two ten and one, not just three losses in a row. Two ten and one. Um, moving on to Alabama and Auburn here, another rivalry game that didn't disappoint. Alabama squeaking out a twenty-seven to twenty-four win. It was fourth and goal on the thirty-one. Yeah, that's right. Fourth and goal on the 31. Jalen Milrow finds Isaiah Bond for the touchdown here. But it was all set up prior to that with Auburn muffing a punt, giving the ball back to Alabama on the 30-yard line with just under five minutes to play here. Jalen Milrow, 16 of 24, 259 yards, two touchdowns, 18 carries, 107 yards for him. And Alabama did everything to lose this game. Fourth and 31, there's a reason it's fourth and 31. You obviously screwed up in the first three downs. Uh, Auburn inexplicably in the worst coaching move I've maybe seen this year in football, college and pro, rushed two players on that touchdown pass. Two, that was it. They dropped nine and still couldn't stop them in the uh, end zone for the touchdown. Uh, just a horrendous coaching decision there. And that's... Uh, Seemingly been going on Auburn for a few years now, so we'll see what happens. But uh, the one thing I'd be concerned about about Alabama right now is their run defense uh, was awful in this game, and it's not like Auburn's offense is any good. No, it's not. It just came off of that loss to New Mexico State.
Uh, Georgia, without Brock Bowers, Lad McConkey went on to beat Georgia Tech 31-23. to Carson Beck was 13 of 20, 175 yards, one touchdown, one pick. For Kendall Milton, though, 18 carries, 156 yards, and two touchdowns, and they will have a date against Alabama in the SEC championship with Georgia, at least this morning, five-and-a-half-point favorites. They've never beaten Alabama in a conference championship game, but uh, Georgia's now won 29 in a row. That's an all-time SEC record. They've also uh, had uh, you know three consecutive eight and zero SEC seasons. That's the first time that has ever happened. Uh, you mentioned uh, McConkey and Bowers. I'm not exactly sure what's up with McConkey, uh, but Bowers has the ankle thing, and clearly they were resting him. Georgia Tech's an improved team, but yeah. You know, Sorry, they're like uh, they've gone from average to uh, uh, a below average team to maybe above average or pro- probably just an average team. I had forgotten that Haynes King ended up transferring there. That's true, and he had a good season. He had a very good season for Georgia Tech. So, uh, yeah, you had another mistake at Texas A&M. Florida State and Florida, it was a 24-15 victory for FSU. FSU did score 10 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to win this one here. Obviously, they don't have their quarterback, Jordan Travis, so things were on to Tate Rotomaker, who was just 12 of 25 for 134 yards. Florida State rode the ground game. Well, they didn't ride, ride the. Uh, they didn't really use the run game until later in the game, and uh, yeah, Benson, Trey Benson's a good, really good running back, and we've talked about how they have, I think, the most. They have the you know, when when Travis is playing, they have the best quarterback, two wide receivers, and running back of any team in college football, and it seemed like that uh, they forgot that Benson existed there until the fourth quarter, and he finally got uh, fed the ball. This was unwatchable football, which was to some extent not that surprising with Wanamaker and also, you know, Florida's backup quarterback was in there too. And he has no, you know, he had no chance. That guy did. Uh, So we'll see what happens. The thing that's surprising to me is that Florida is not clean house and fired uh, athletic director Scott uh, Strickland and also Billy Napier at this point, which we kind of assumed was going to happen yesterday. Now, I'm curious to see how all of this is going to impact things, what the CFP is going to do because Jordan Travis's injury to Florida State. They did win the game here, but setting things up for the ACC championship, Kentucky beat Louisville 38-31. to That's true. This is not good for Florida State. They wanted Louisville to win that game. Yeah, as far as uh, Louisville's concerned, yeah, Jordan and and uh, Thrash, their you know, their best running back and their best wide receiver, they both played, and they were both very effective. There was some question of whether they were going to be able to play, or if they did, like the week before they played, and they were far from a hundred percent health wise. Yeah, Jordan ended up with uh, sixty-seven yards on seventeen carries and two touchdowns. Thrash caught six uh, passes for sixty yards. But the Louisville defense, which has been really good most of the season, was missing an action on Saturday against a suspect uh, Kentucky offense. And after the game, uh, actually, you know, several hours after the game, uh, you know, Mark Stoops uh, was reportedly headed to Texas A&M. One of those bogus, inaccurate reports by some website trying to, you know, rush to get the story. And that was completely inaccurate. I don't know whether he was actually offered the job or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll see what's going on there. It was, by the way, Kentucky into the 10-year losing streak, 10 years, against top 10 opponents. Wow. 
Uh, Oklahoma State, they came from behind, needed two overtimes to also do it, beating BYU 42-34. At season's beginning, would we have ever thought Oklahoma State's going to be playing for a Big 12 title? Uh, They'll be facing off Texas, who came off of a 57-7 win over Texas Tech on Friday. We might have thought differently about Oklahoma State early in the season. You remember they played ASU here and you know, rallied in the second half to win. But Ollie Gordon, who turns out to be one of the best running backs in America, wasn't even playing with the frequency for Oklahoma State at the start of the year. Uh, he ended up scoring five touchdowns in this game on, on Saturday. Was that Saturday? Whatever day that was uh, over the weekend. Uh, that tied Barry Sanders' school record for most touchdowns in one game. Uh, and unfortunately uh, for Texas and football fans, we have to watch Oklahoma State and Texas play next week because I'm guessing it won't be good. It would have been much more fun if we were you in Texas again. Uh, we'll save some of the numbers that I have for the U of A and ASU contest for when we answer the poll question about uh, ASU football. It was a 59-23 victory for the Wildcats. So we'll, uh, and I'm sure you have some statistics and things too to point out. So we'll save that for the other side of the break when we answer today's poll questions, kdus1060.com, as well as the Twitter poll question at kdusam1060. It is the extra point right here on kdusam1060. Back after this. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. It is Monday. It is November 27th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. As we're doing this week in the Extra Point, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp with you from 10 to 11, Monday through Friday this week. Time to turn our attention here to the poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question referencing the Arizona Cardinals. It was a uh, loss to the Rams yesterday, and with that loss here, they're sitting at 2-10 and 10 on the season. Is there reason to believe in the alleged Cardinals' improved culture, yes or no? No, but I've never bought into it, so maybe I'm the wrong person to ask my own question to. Uh, but as far as uh, you, know, you know, the old Mike Tyson thing is you know, everybody thinks they have a chance until they get punched in the face, and they've been punched in the face many times here of late. Uh, you know, I think Kyler Murray makes that much of a difference at quarterback um, because I think he's just an average quarterback to begin with in his best days. And uh, this, this roster is really bad. I mean, I've been saying this for literally almost a calendar year. And, you know, the Cardinals, at least, you know, was the, you know, think that, you know, if you just look you know, behind the, the Jonathan Gannon BS uh, that we listen to, and that's what he's supposed to say because, you know, he's part of the, you know, group that started, decided we're going to start this whole thing over and tear it down, which was the right thing to do. 
but they're really bad. And uh, the culture, it doesn't matter. Now I'm starting to wonder if the coaching staff is in over its head, however. Some of the coaching decisions and some of the things that continue to not change from week after week, like the most simple you know, offensive line stunts against uh, offensive line pickups against defensive uh, front stunts like yesterday again. Same stuff every goddamn week. Excuse me. Every week. Uh, it's just I'm so sick of watching this. And uh, they're really, really, really bad. And they're even worse than I could imagine they could be at this point of the season. So I'm not buying into any of this garbage. And, uh, you know, we'll see. And they need to. Uh, improve the roster, roster at the, after this season much more than I ever imagined that there would be. I, I can't, I could not have imagined in my worst possibilities that they'd be this bad. Uh, so I'd say that this loss to me was absolutely the most disappointing moment uh, watching the team so far. Um, you know, having Kyler Murray return, what would we saw take place with the Falcons game? Uh, what we've heard about uh, him taking everything very seriously about learning this new scheme and all the work that he's been putting into it, seeing it come to fruition in that type of moment that he had in that Falcons game. You wanted to see how were things going to turn. I get that, you know, you have the talent that you have, so you're working with what you're working with, but just how to see that offense just continue to build, how to see the team continue to build from there. It was uh, opportunity after opportunity in that Texans lost, and they didn't get it done. So now in the next portion of things is how are you going to learn from that and come out in the next opportunity that you have and, and make changes, make alterations to what your preparation is or what you're you know doing in real time to not make those same mistakes. And for me, that's the part that was most disappointing is that it was, as Jonathan Gannon pointed out, quote, not matching their effort and enthusiasm, which he later walked back in postgame. But I thought he was right the first time when he said it. That's the part that's controllable. That's the part that you can come out and have that type of energy and enthusiasm and ready to go. And I thought that it wasn't there. And that's unfortunate because you had, you know, the success that you had with Murray returning. So how are you going to keep building upon that in kind of like a reset mode for this team throughout the season? And it just didn't happen. It didn't materialize three and out after three and out. No continuity. Uh, I'm confused and baffled by the lack of involvement of James Conner. And it's, uh, you know, him just being on the sideline. He's not even in the in the game at certain moments. And you have to give him the ball. He's the guy that brings that energy and enthusiasm. He's the person that's trying to break tackle after tackle, trying to carry guys with him. He's that person that's going to provide that spark and that energy there. So, um, um, just kind of curious about decisions. And to your point, we've had these conversations. How do you try to figure out if this coaching staff is able to uh, be the coaching staff we want to see with this with this team for a long term because of where the roster is at? How do you evaluate that? It was going to be a process evolving throughout the season. And uh, hopefully the next five games, we start to see some positive trends and not kind of what you've pointed out, what you've seen here over the last four, five, six weeks. Um, so I'm going to say, though, uh, to answer the question, Question, no, that this was just really, really, really disappointing. 
Yeah, I'll add one more thing here as far as the coaching staff goes, and Gannon specifically here. You know, going for it on fourth and two from his own 48th in the half and basically handing the Rams seven free points at that point. I wonder if there are some veteran and professional players on this roster and maybe not even guys that are that experienced that wonder, what are, what is our coach doing here? He's not putting us in the best position to win. And as I've said for many years on many different levels, whether it be college or pro, the coach's job or the manager's job in baseball is to put the team into the best position to win, and Gannon did not do that yesterday in any shape or form. That was very, very mind-boggling there with two minutes to go uh, on their own 48, and then the play call itself didn't really match, I guess, optimal success. Uh, the masses, though, are on the yes side of things at 68% of the vote, no trailing at 32%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Flipping it on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, in regards to ASU football, uh, they were beat yesterday, not yesterday, on Saturday by the Wildcats, 59-23. to At halftime, it was 38-7. to Noah Fafita was 30 of 41, 527 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception. He had the most passing yards of any U of A quarterback in the history of the Territorial Cup, and he succeeded that number by halftime when he had 357 yards. So obviously he just continued to boost that with his 527 yards. Jaden Rashada, he got the start at quarterback and was 10 of 22, 82 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions here. The question, is there any reason to be encouraged about the ASU football program moving forward following Saturday's 59 to 23 loss? And I am actually going to be on the the yes side of things and it's not really anything to do with what we saw on the football field. It's more of what changes have been made and that if you are going to look at a big picture here of are things going to change with NIL effort, efforts? Uh, are they moving in a new direction with moving on, Ray Anderson stepping down, a new leadership coming in? Is there going to be the ability to try to compete with the NIL portion of things here? Um, also, how is that going to then in turn help Kenny Dillingham and his staff recruit? You clearly need uh, a quarterback. That's where things start. You have some other key playmakers here, but then how are you going to continue to build out the rest of of the football team? And I think first step was making changes. Now is it going to come to fruition? Uh, so there's possibilities ahead because you're not stuck doing the same pattern that you've been doing. Obviously, I think massive changes need to happen here. Um, uh, because 59-23, not competitive. So are those changes and forward thinking going to help ASU moving forward? I have close to zero reason for optimism here. I think that Dillingham is an offensive coordinator. I've seen enough. I think he's in and over his head as a head coach. Uh, you know, I understand he has not been granted a full or give, given a full deck. There's no doubt about that. But once again, we have a team that got worse as the season continued. They were non-competitive, and I mean non-competitive in two of their last three games of the season. For instance, with 9.54 left in the third quarter on Saturday, the U of A led 52-7. to They had eight possessions at that point. They had scored seven touchdowns and kicked a field goal. At that point, they'd outgained ASU 472-172. to 
You mentioned Fafita. He ended up with a school record 527 passing yards in that game. Bottom line, I'm mystified as to why some people think that uh, that Dillingham, if given time, is going to turn around uh, what is the mess of the ASU football program. And once again, he inherited the mess. But I don't understand why anybody really thinks that he's capable of turning it around. The talk's a good game. Uh, they don't play very many good games, uh, and uh, they, I think that you know, they're just a, they're a program that's in shambles. And uh, you know, going to the Big Twelve, you know, sorry folks, but before this year, when the Big uh, when the Pac-12 had so many good quarterbacks, but the Big Twelve over the last few years has been better than the Pac-12 from top to bottom. The masses are on the no side of things at 71.9% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 28.1%. This is on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. With the Wildcats finishing the season at 9-3, and 7-2 in conference play, they had losses to Washington 31-24, USC 43-41. ASU finished 3-9, and 2-7 in Pac-12 play. Wins over WSU 38-27, over UCLA 17-7. Maybe you could argue that they could have gone and one more against Colorado State here. But my question, should Jed Fish be Pac-12 Coach of the Year? Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I think it would be pretty hard. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you could make you, you could definitely make the case for that, but you can also make a case that they would have won more games had he actually chosen the right quarterback to start the season. Uh, he had plenty to do with them losing the USC game. Uh, and you know, but they played again. That they wouldn't. You know, they were a twenty-something point underdog in that game. You gonna play again? And what, what's the line? Of, if they played this Saturday, what's the line if USC played uh, the U of A, even in LA at this point? Uh, so you know, he blew two games, and one because of his preseason decision, and one in-game decision. So there's that. But uh, I don't really know anybody else that, you know, unless you want to go with obviously you know, the Oregon Washington thing because they obviously are still in the uh, CFP discussion. Uh, but rarely do the quote coach of the year uh, in any sport is given to the guy that actually is probably the coach of the year or the most surprising coach of the year is usually what the actual term is for coach of the year. Most surprising coach of the year. Yeah, it doesn't usually go to the expected powerhouse. Hey, you were supposed to do this. Good job. It's more of, hey, we thought you were going to finish bottom of the pack, and here you are, only two losses in conference play. I'll add one thing. I also think you can make a case, certainly, that Oregon and Washington, those programs are, you know, I think far better than they were a year ago at this time, both of them. We'll wrap things up on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app on this Monday, November 27th. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com.
Wrapping up this Monday, November 27th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you. And Bob, it's that time once again. It is thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks. And also our guest today, actually Pete Futak. We weren't able to hook up with Pete, P, uh, Pete today, but scheduled for Wednesday in the 1015 uh, segment of the Sports Zone. Tomorrow at 1015, our weekly fantasy football update with John McKechnie of rotowire.com. Also sound day courtesy of Fox, ESPN, CBS, and also NBC. Special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from 1 to 3 p.m., it is the Doug Gottlieb Show, followed by the Rich Eisen Show from uh, 3 to 5. Then the Sports with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7. James Out West from 7 to 8. And then there is a special edition of Varsity Sports Show, which is typically airing on Saturday mornings from 8 to 10. They're doing a one-hour special tonight from 8 to 9 p.m. So that's all happening here on KDUS AM 1060. Yesterday, the Suns, they were in New York taking on the Knicks. 116-113 to 113 victory for the Suns, thanks to Devin Booker hitting the game-winning three. The win comes without Kevin Durant, without Grayson Allen, and, of course, Bradley Beal, who has been sidelined here for the last couple of weeks. The Suns now have won seven in a row, and the road trip will continue in Toronto uh, on Wednesday. Okay. Congratulations to the seven-game winning streak of November. <laughs> Monday Night Football is tonight, uh, 6.15 p.m. on ESPN. The Bears plus three, Vikings minus three, over-under sitting at 43.5. The Josh Dobbs experience with the Minnesota Vikings continues tonight. It does. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. You know, is Justin Jefferson going to be back and playing or not tonight? He's eligible to return. Uh, so that would obviously make a big difference for them. And uh, Justin Fields is kind of an audition, I assume, for Fields the rest of the season as to whether he's going to be the future Bears quarterback. I think Jefferson is officially not playing tonight. Okay, well, that's expected. And, you know, there's a lot of people that don't think he's going to play until he gets a contract extension. So we'll see how this drags out. And they're in a playoff mix now. And, uh he must really be hurting if he's not playing tonight. Uh, despite there being a blowout between the Com- Cowboys and Commanders, the game averaged 41.438 million viewers, and it peaked at 44.265 million. Uh, the NBC contest wrapping up the Thanksgiving Day slate of games between the 49ers and Seahawks averaged 26.3 million, peaked at 30.2 million. Didn't see any numbers for the Lions and the Packers. Thanks for listening.